This morning I invite you to take uh, the word of the Lord and open it to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3 is going to be our text this morning, going to be looking at verses 1 through 18, that's the chapter of chapter 3. This morning, instead of uh, reading, the chap- reading the passage as a whole and then uh, uh, praying, we'll save and walk through uh, the verses as we go through this morning. So uh, with that in mind, let us open us in a word of prayer. Father, we do pray this morning that you would show us Christ from your word. Father, would you strengthen us And draw our eyes to Christ, our Redeemer, who has come to rescue us. Father, as we look at this account of this night at the threshing floor in chapter 3 of Ruth, Father, would you help us to see how amazing you truly are, how at work you are in the seemingly normal events that take place in our lives, Father, help our faith in you to grow from looking at this chapter. Help our faith to be solidified and strengthened from your word, we pray, Father. Lord, we pray that you would give faith in Christ if it is not there in anyone's life here this morning. That they would be convicted of their sin and they would see that Christ is the only redeemer, the only savior that can forgive. That they would place their faith, that is they would trust in your promises and trust in the promise of Christ to save. Father, we need you. We need your Holy Spirit to take your word and to speak to us through it. So we pray in that need now through Christ our Savior, asking that you would do just that. Help us see, help us hear. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. As we've looked through the chapter of Ruth, I've really been taken back by the love that Ruth has shown to her bitter mother-in-law, Naomi, in this book. Ruth, as we've seen, has remained faithful to the pledge that she made both to God and to Naomi on the way out of Moab when she had that decision to make of where am I going to go? Am I going to follow and go to Bethlehem with Naomi or am I going to return to Moab? Ruth herself has shown the steadfast covenant, faithful love of God to Naomi. It's hard to love bitter people, but through thick and thin, Ruth has loved and shown that love towards Naomi. And ultimately, this was because she was a follower of Yahweh. This was because she was a follower, we could say now, in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. She was following after God's promises, and she bore that fruit out in her life. It was evident by the decision she made and by the way she lived with the circumstances that confronted her and the sovereign circumstances God had placed her in, the very difficult, dark providences that God had brought upon her. 
as we're going to see today, in particular in verse number 11, Ruth is going to be described as a worthy woman, a worthy woman. Last week, we saw how chapter 2, as we think back on, on this chapter, covered the events of one day. So the entire uh, chapter, chapter 2, recording for us the events of one single day. So verse 1 to 3 was early in the morning. Verse 4 to 16 retell for us how Ruth happened into Boaz's field and was shown extravagant grace from him, and in verse 17 to 23, the scene ended back in the evening as Ruth came home with that great haul of grain back to Naomi, receiving God's kindness upon them. And in the same way, in chapter 3, these events in this chapter are going to record one single day, we could call it, one single period of time. Except the thing is, the amount of time that's going to be covered here is basically late at night, and early to the morning. So this is going to recount for us the midnight hour. So sometime maybe before, shortly after sun, sunset, uh, and then, uh, well before, and then uh, all the way through the night into the beginning of the morning before the sun rose. And so we're going to see that. Uh, first, uh, in the late evening, Naomi and Ruth, we're going to see them talking. And second, during the night with Boaz and Ruth, as we're at the threshing floor. And third, back with Naomi and Ruth, in the early morning. So uh, as we saw last time, Naomi's wheels in her head began to turn about what might happen or become of Ruth and Boaz. She knew that Boaz was a close, close relative, that he was a redeemer. Naomi knew what type of man Boaz was. And in this chapter, she's going to come up with a very bold plan for Ruth, a bold plan for Ruth to approach Boaz, to basically seek his hand in marriage. And so we're going to see this passage falling in three parts before us, verses 1 to 5. We're going to see Naomi's bold plan. Here's what the mother-in-law trying to set up her daughter-in-law is going to come up with in this plan. And then secondly, verse 6 to 15, we're going to see Ruth's daring encounter, her daring encounter with Boaz on that night at the threshing floor. And then thirdly, verse 16 to 18, we're going to name that Boaz's faithful promise as we uh, focus upon that in verse 16 to 18. So we'll, we'll begin with point number one, Naomi's bold plan. What is it that Naomi comes up with as she is considering uh, the finding a spouse for her daughter-in-law? Look at verse number one. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? And pause there for just a moment and remember who it is that is saying this. This is Naomi, of course, who is speaking here, the one who said earlier, do not call me pleasant, call me bitter. Right? Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. And so what, what has happened to Naomi in that she's now looking out for others and seeking the well-being of Ruth? What's happened to her, remember, as we saw, she had been softened by God's grace in her life. God's grace and steadfast love had not forsaken Naomi, and it was through Boaz, a man of grace, that God had brought great grace and blessing to Ruth and Naomi. And now Naomi is concerned with Ruth. 
She seeks for Ruth, as it says here, to have rest, that it may be well with her. The NIV translates this phrase, rest, like this. Should I not try to find a home for you? And the rest she's referring to is just that. She's trying to find her a husband and a home. Naomi wants Ruth to find a home and a husband. And this once bitter, now softened by grace, mother-in-law, has this plan for her daughter-in-law. When you begin to realize and see God's grace in your life, it necessarily will change the way you act towards others. When we begin to comprehend and see God's grace, it will change you. It will change the way you interact with other people. And this once embittered Mara is now not looking out for herself, thinking about her own desires and her own wishes. What do we see her doing here? She's looking out for others, and she's looking out in particular for Ruth. Remember here at the end of chapter 1, when returning to Bethlehem, Ruth didn't even acknowledge Naomi's presence. You remember that? As she came and she was discussing with the other women, and they said, Is this, could this be uh, here, Naomi? She, she said, I have come back empty. I have nothing. There's nothing I have. And it seems as though Ruth was standing right there. Now she's doing all she can to try and care for her. You see, that is exactly what God's grace does. As she began to see, God's grace was there for her, but she did not see it. But when she began to see God's grace being showered upon her, it necessarily changed her. Because when you see how much of a recipient you are of the grace of God, of what God has done for you, man, that changes that bitterness within and only looking to yourself and it causes you to open your eyes to the needs of others because what God has given to you necessarily you are going to be extending to others and that's what we see happening here Naomi's eyes are off of herself and she's concerned here with Ruth and her well-being and so she concocts a plan verse number two is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were see he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Naomi, no doubt, was probably hoping something would happen between Boaz and Naomi as she was away working with the harvesters during that uh, seven, eight-week period. But nothing had happened. Nothing had happened with Ruth and Boaz during that time. Uh, a plan uh, uh, the, she had for her, no doubt, was for them to come together, but it happened, had it happened. At the end of chapter 2, we're kind of out there, says that, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So she was back with her. And so we see her coming up with this plan and not, her, not sure how she knew that Boaz was going to be winnowing barley uh, on this particular night. I imagine she made it her business to know that he was going to be there or not going to be there when and to have this plan to talk to Ruth and as we're going to see, to give her some instruction. So what does she say to her? We see that verse 3 to 4. Here's her plan. Verse 3 to 4. Wash, therefore, and go anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. Well, 
We could entitle this a lot of things. I just generically, a bold plan, right? This is a bold plan. Ruth is going to be in a very vulnerable situation as we're going to see. So her instruction to her, let's just uh, look at it. She kind of shoots it off rapid succession here. Her instruction for her dearest daughter-in-law, the first thing that she says to her kind of is go take a bath. Now, this is not rocket science, is it? Uh, Naomi, you, go take a bath, okay? That's the first thing, never a bad idea if you're seeking after someone. Uh, second, she says to anoint herself. Now, what she's speaking about here is anoint herself, that is, with oil, oil that would be fragrant oil that would have a good aroma to it. So she's saying, go wash, take a bath, put on oil that's going to smell nice. Again, this is not rocket science that we're looking at. And third, put on some nice clothes and this cloak that's going to be outward over all of these clothes. So now why would Naomi tell Ruth to do these things? This, this is on the, these cookies are on the low shelf here on this one. Well, it's pretty obvious just practically for her to be as attractive as she can be in this situation. Right? The, the Bible does not teach, and we don't see the Bible coming across and teaching to us that it's uh, a sin to dress nicely. Right? There's a difference be between a dressing nicely, dressing attractively, and then dressing seductively. Right? There's a big difference between that. The Bible clearly teaches against the latter while supporting the former. And just in case you get that straight, the Bible is teaching against seductive and it is encouraging a attractive uh, sort of behavior. And so also, so I think that's taking place. We see that in other passages of scripture, these three things of washing, anointing, and putting on a cloak. We see that in areas that are speaking in that vein in other parts of scripture. Also, and I think this goes along with it, it just might be the case that up to this point, Ruth had been wearing the clothes of widowhood. That is to show that she was still in a period of mourning. That very well could have been the case. And again, these three things of washing, anointing, and putting on a cloak or nice clothes is seen in other places in the Old Testament to mean an end to a period of sadness and mourning. David in 2 Samuel chapter 12 verse 20 did this exact same thing. According to uh, that text, when David had been informed, you'll recall of the death of his son, he washed himself, applied uh, perfumed oil and put on his cloak and then went to the temple to worship God after which he came back home and ate and drank. And so it seems that here in this passage, Naomi is telling Ruth to convey that she is now ready for married life. Her time of mourning is over. And that is exactly what Naomi is seeking to convey through this. The actions that Naomi now tells Ruth to do uh, really leave no doubt for that, right, at this time period in what she is doing. So she tells her, do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. This is kind of interesting here. Um, again, very practical level. Ruth has to make sure she gets the right guy here. Imagine if she accidentally 
laid down beside the wrong man at this time on the threshing floor. That would be disastrous because it's going to be dark. I imagine it's going to be very dark, maybe even pitch dark. And she's to see where he is laying without making herself known. Where is he going to lie down? Remember that. That's where he's going to go because that's where you need to go. Because again, this whole plan is going to backfire if lo and behold, it's not Boaz that you go and sit beside. Then Naomi tells Ruth to uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. Now, just what's going on here? What, what does all of this mean? Well, I think basically we can sum that up to say Naomi is telling Ruth, to put herself in the place of a wife, to make this very clear. Uh, and we need to note that as you study this passage, you will find out uh, some of the words and the actions that are done and said here have some very sexual connotations uh, and overtones within them. Not going to dive into that this morning, just to say uncover here used in sexual context to lie is often used to denote uh, sexual relations. And so uh, there's a lot going on in this passage and Naomi is hoping that Boaz will get the picture. Namely, Ruth is seeking marriage. Her time of mourning is over. And it's at this point she tells Ruth, then he will tell you what to do. All right, you go do this. Here's what you're to do. And lay there. He will tell you then what to do. Seems like to me, Naomi has no doubt in her mind that Boaz will understand what Ruth is conveying by these actions. But still yet, it's a little bold and it's a risky plan. Uh, what if Boaz misinterprets what's taking place? Uh, uh, and, and again, good grief, ho hopefully Ruth sits down beside the right person here. What's Ruth's response going to be to this? You're out of your mind, mother-in-law. I want to do this in the daylight. There is no way I'm going to do this plan. No, what do we see? We see the same thing as we've seen her done. It's a picture of faithfulness. In verse number five, look at what she says. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. We see obedience on her part. We see trust from her in this plan. She raises no objections that we see, no questions even really. She demonstrates her commitment to Naomi and ultimately to God through going through with this plan. So that's a very bold plan that we see in the first five verses. Next, we see uh, uh, this dangerous plan. Next bold plan, we see Ruth's daring encounter in verse 6 to 15. Verse six is a summary statement of this plan put into action. Verse number six, so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. So time and time again, we've seen Ruth has been faithful to, obedient to these words. Resembles a lot, doesn't it, other people in scripture. Uh, other people in scripture that were faithful, in particular other ladies, single ladies that were obedient to God let it be to me according to your words. I, I think I jump immediately to the New Testament time period in Mary and Mary's response to the angel coming and telling her and just her response of obedience to that. And we see a similar picture here in her life of obedience to this plan. Verse seven sets the scene of that evening. 
before us. Look at it, the first part of it, verse 7. It says, And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Now, what do we know about Boaz as we've read through this book? Everything we've seen and know about him is a positive light that is shed upon him. And this scene is, is no different. What we see happening here is Boaz is a man who has put in a hard day's work. Boaz had been working at the threshing floor of, of taking a, something that looks like a pitchfork and you're grabbing a bunch of grain. You're throwing that grain up into the air and there's a breeze that is coming that is going to separate uh, the wheat that's going to fall down, the kernels of the grain, the lighter stuff is going to be blown away. And so he's sitting here working. This is manual labor that he's working during the day. I imagine he came. We know he was, uh, had to have been most likely a wealthy man owning this field. So he had a hearty meal. He probably had a nice hearty glass of wine after his meal or during his meal. Remember, just before this, there had been uh, a famine in the land for over 10 years. Now it was a time of rejoicing. It had been a good year, a good harvest, and Boaz is enjoying the good things that God has provided him. The text says here that he was full and his heart was merry. You see, he, he was satisfied. This was a happy man at a hard day's work being put in and a good meal and a drink before him that evening. And he was content. It's the same sort of thing we see in Psalm 104, verse 14 and 15. It says, there, speaking of God, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. That's the picture here of what we see of Boaz. Feeling good, laying down underneath the stars after a long day's work and fading off to sleep. And lo and behold, here comes the next part. Verse number seven, second part. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? Right, I take it it's pretty dark. Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Maybe it was a cold wind that blew through. We knew the threshing floor is a place where the, the, the wind came through. I don't know, something woke him up around midnight and behold, Boaz turns over and he looks and lo and behold, this righteous man, there is a woman laying at his feet or near his feet or somewhere beside him. A beautiful young woman and his legs were uncovered. And instead of Ruth just sitting there quietly, waiting for Boaz to tell her what to do. She leaves no room for error. She leaves no room for Boaz to misinterpret her actions. You see, the threshing floor was a known place to be where prostitutes would come and frequent. 
It was a place of immorality many times. And so Ruth wanted to be clear. And Ruth says verbally what she means to convey physically by her actions. So she's kind of going on a little bit from what uh, her mother-in-law told her to do, to do this, and then he'll tell you what to do. She's going to make crystal clear what she is doing. And she responds to him and she says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Wings could be translated corner of your garment. She's asking Boaz to cover her. But her words are chosen very carefully because they recall Boaz's own words that he spoke to Ruth a number of weeks before. Look look at chapter uh, 2, verse number 12. Look at that real quick. Just flip back and look at that. It says there, this is the words of Boaz to Ruth, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You see, she had come to Israel to seek protection and security, and now she's asking Boaz to give that to her because he is a redeemer, a near kinsman redeemer. And these are the same words that he spoke to her and blessed her with. And now she takes those same words and calls him, as it were, to faithfulness, to spread wings over her, to redeem her. And then uh, here as this passage, we see this scene. Boaz waking up, his legs uncovered, Ruth, a Moabite, a widow, a woman, a servant, asking a landowner, an Israelite, a man, basically, if he would marry her. What would Boaz's response be? Boaz, again, could have treated Ruth like a prostitute. Prostitutes would have come out of the threshing floor and sell themselves. We see this in Hosea chapter 9. Boaz could have shooed her off as, what are you doing, you immoral girl? Get away from me. And then Ruth's life after that would have been difficult. Or he could have woken up and recognized the true meaning of Ruth's actions. And indeed, that is what he does. Listen to his tender words that he speaks to her in verse number 10. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. You see, instead of Ruth running after a younger man, maybe a younger poor man is implied here for passion of running off with a younger poor man or a younger rich man for money, so to speak, she had come to an older Boaz because he is a redeemer in the family, a kinsman redeemer who could take care of Naomi and take care of Ruth. You see, what we see here is Ruth is not marrying anybody she wants, although she could have. She was free to do that. There was no law saying that she couldn't. Instead, she chose to marry a relative in the family of Elimelech. That is who she asks to marry. What we see here is his acknowledgement of her faithfulness to God. Look at verse number 11. And now, my daughter, 
do not fear. Right? Why would he have to say that? I imagine because there's some fear. She's, is this going to turn out okay? He says to her, now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Boaz, this great man of faith, says, Ruth, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. She asked for his hand in marriage. I think Boaz is thinking more than just that here. He speaks to her and he describes Ruth and he says, look, everyone knows you are a worthy woman. She's a worthy woman. This same word is used to describe Boaz in chapter two, verse one. As you look at it there, he's described as a worthy man. And it says here that she is a worthy woman. Ruth was a worthy woman and Boaz a worthy man. And so these two people is a picture of following after God and the Lord bringing them together. Until verse number 12, a hitch as it seems to us. Look at 12 and 13 as what he says next. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I kind of hear the, the balloon begin to deflate. Remain tonight and in the morning if he will redeem you good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Again, I imagine her heart stopped at this point in the conversation. What, another redeemer closer than you? Ruth wanted to marry Boaz. I think that's evident here. But there's a hitch, and it's really a hitch for us because there's no law that we see in the Old Testament, again, that speaks directly to this situation of Ruth having to marry the closest kinsman redeemer. And so what is Boaz doing here? Well, the text simply doesn't tell us at this point. It leaves us, as it were, on a cliff again that's going to be answered to us in chapter 4. And so look at what happened next in verse number 14. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. You see, both of their reputations were on the line, and they didn't want others to misinterpret this event. Nothing went on between them that night. I think that's very clear and evident. Boaz acted in modesty, he didn't take advantage of Ruth in this situation. So he sends her off before daybreak, before the sun rises. But he doesn't send her away empty-handed. Look at verse 15. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. Both of them departed from the flesh, uh, threshing floor and it was very early in the morning before the sun had come up. And so uh, Ruth was filled with this provision, which leads to this last point, Boaz's faithful promise. Now the scene switches as they're going back uh, to uh, Naomi's place. Naomi uh, has probably, I imagine this night, imagine her while Ruth is off uh, doing this plan. I imagine that she's there. If she's a nail biter, she's probably biting them. No doubt she's praying for the Lord's blessing upon them in this time, wondering what would happen. And then came the knock at the door that morning in verse number 16. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had 
done for her. See, the author doesn't summarize the scene again. He just says she told her all about it. But he does focus in on something in particular. And look at what that is in verse 17. Saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Very quickly, what is happening here is that Boaz is sending Naomi a message in this. I will provide for you. I will care for you. Even more than you know, I'm providing this for you. It's easy for, for us to, again, miss this again, but the six measures of barley that Boaz gave to Ruth was a ton of grain. We don't know exactly the six measures. It doesn't tell us the measurement of what, what six, six what? Six what? Is it, is it six ephahs? Is it six something else? If it was six ephahs, that's what most of the commentators say. Now we're talking 80 pounds of grain that he gives to her. It could have been maybe 30 pounds. Most people think it's 80 pounds. So here he's helping her put on this coat and hopefully they sewed it well so it didn't rip open when it had all this weight on it. And here she is, uh, possibly 80 pounds carrying this back. I get, on a side note, I get the thought here that uh, Ruth's a pretty buff woman, right? She's a pretty stout woman being able to carry all this grain around. Maybe, maybe uh, uh, Boaz, he's just wanting to see how well she can work here. In the, I don't know, but no, just kidding, just kidding. But he, he has this, puts all this grain, gives it to her. She is carrying it back home. And there's something else we need to see here. What does he say? What does the author draw our attention to? He says this, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Our translations here in the ESV, they add the handed part. If, if we look at it literally, it says, you must not go back empty to your mother-in-law. Does that ring a bell? That, that lingo of empty right? The language of empty. It's the same word the author used in chapter 1, verse 21, where Naomi said in that place, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty, empty. See, what God was doing is it was a physical example of his provision and his care and his plan for them. The author is knowing, don't go back empty to Naomi. Don't let her hear that. And this is even from the lips, off the lips of Ruth to Naomi saying, he told me not to come back to you empty. That same word had come off of her lips and I imagined in her mind, this is just the Lord's provision of speaking to her to say, I have a plan, I am at work, I am providing for you through all of this. Naomi gets the message. Look at what she says in verse 18. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Boaz is going to take care of the matter, and he's not going to, uh, and he's going to do it even more than Ruth and Naomi had asked. So again, we're kind of left on a little cliff here at the end of the chapter of, of him going to settle this matter and what that's going to look like, and we'll get into that, Lord willing, next time in chapter four. In conclusion this morning, I just want to call your attention to a couple of things here, and that's both the actions of 
Ruth and the actions of Boaz. Both of these people are put forth to us as worthy followers of Christ, we could say in our lingo today, looking back. They are faithful believers. They are described here as worthy, a worthy woman, and as he is described, a worthy man in chapter 2, verse number 1. Why are they described that way? It's because of their actions, the way that they held themselves, the way that they worshiped God and the way that was lived out in their lives. She devoted herself and her life to Naomi and more importantly to God. Life before them, as we've seen, was not an easy row to hoe. But God provided for them. God took care of her and is going to use her mightily. And Ruth sought after God more than the world. We can say the same thing about Boaz in this time of rampant immorality and when people were doing whatever they want. What did we see this man doing? He was living a faithful life. He's an older man. I don't know. I'm guessing. I don't know how old he was. He's an older man. He's old. He must have been in his 40s, right? I'm in the 40s. That's an old man now for me, right? He's, he's an older man, 40s, 50s maybe. I don't know how old he was. But he's single. He's a righteous man. He's single, living for the Lord. And just the blessings in his life of living faithfully. And now God has brought him the gift here of Ruth in his life. We see the same thing from Ruth and how she lived. The point is, look at the blessings that come upon those who are faithful and obedient to God. Even in difficult situations, harsh situations. I think it's fair to say here of Ruth that she sought after a godly spouse above all else. I think this is instruction to us, to young ladies and to young men. What I mean by that is is single ladies, single men. I think we see instruction here from that. Not necessarily instruction of here's a plan to concoct uh, for a mother to uh, uh, provide for a daughter and and to come up with things, although you can extrapolate some principles there uh, to be helpful. Right? But what we see here beyond all else is we see a picture of Ruth seeking after a faithful man of God. You see, that is what Scripture, I just submit to you, says is most important in finding a spouse. If you are a believer trusting in God, that is the most important thing for you to look at in a spouse. And let me just tell you, that is not what the world teaches the, 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 the waters we swim in today and the things that are coming against you today are not telling you seek the most godly spouse you can find. Seek after God and seek a godly spouse. No, the world today says to look at everything on the surface. Look at the glitz, look at the glamour, look at this, look at somebody who's held up in esteem by others and, and it's, all, it's all about looks and it's all about this and it's all about that. That's what the world is just cramming down our throats. But we see examples in scripture, both of Boaz, both of Ruth, as they are following after a spouse of God. I just humbly submit to you this morning as a point of application from this text, if that is where you are in life, seek after that. Don't listen to the things that the world describes and tells of you or who you are to pursue. Pursue after a godly spouse, a worthy spouse worthy man or a worthy woman 
it's of most importance. I think their examples, their lives are examples to us. Second last thing here to just impress upon us is the greater meaning of a redeemer. Boaz sought to rescue and provide for Ruth. He's kicking that into action. We're going to see that plan next week. He is a picture, though, in Scripture of a greater Redeemer that was to come. We'll see more of this next week in chapter 4, but here we see Ruth, we see Boaz here seeking a Redeemer, seeking to be a Redeemer. We see Ruth seeking a Redeemer in Boaz. We see this Redeemer picture, and as we carry on in Scripture, we see the greater Redeemer of Jesus Christ the one who has come to provide for us what we could not provide for ourselves. We simply ask today, will you come to that Redeemer in your life? Will you seek after this Redeemer? Will you come under His wings for refuge, for forgiveness, for restitution, for life everlasting? Jesus is our greater Redeemer. If you're here this morning and you would say you're not trusting in Christ as your Redeemer, I'd just be very clear. The Redeemer that we have already sung about this morning, the Redeemer we're getting ready to sing about here in just a moment in closing, is the Redeemer, is the person of Jesus Christ that we confess together that has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. You see, we as Christians confess together, we need rescuing. We need redemption. We need the forgiveness of sins in our lives. And we confess together, Jesus is our redeemer. He is the one who has come to rescue us, to save us, to provide for us, to spread his garment over us. We come naked with nothing, with no works, nothing of our own, simply trusting in the redeemer for us to save us and rescue us. And that's an invitation given out to all of us this morning to trust in Jesus Christ and that Redeemer. Jesus has come by his grace and his mercy to save us. Come to him and be saved. Come to him and find life. Our redemption is found in him and him alone. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we praise your name for Jesus Christ, our greater Redeemer. Father, we thank you for the examples that we see from your word. Oh Lord, would you help us to be faithful, not based upon our own strength, we pray, but based upon Christ in us. Father, I pray if there's someone here who's not trusting in Christ as their redeemer, Lord, would you move upon their hearts, help them see their need of you and that that would show itself in faith in their life. It's trusting and confessing Jesus Christ is our savior. Father, we thank you that we can sing of you and sing of the work that you've done. All praise, honor, and glory be to Christ our savior whose name we pray, amen.